podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Brutal Nation, a podcast series dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of crime. My name is Scott Alexander. I am your illustrious host for today. And right next to me is the one, the only, Miss Tammy Underwood. Looking good today, Tam Tam. Thank you. So, I have one that I think is pretty fucked up. Okay, this is the one that took you for a couple weeks to do, huh? <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Right from our own backyard, not too far from actually where either one of us live. I was going to say, probably closer to me than you, but you know. Mm, not really, because we're talking, well, we'll get into it in a second. Then well, we'll maybe, get... then again, maybe not, because I'm more south, I'm more northwest of there, and you're just straight north. Right, so right, right. Maybe about the same. So today we're going to be doing Mr. John Arthur Aykroyd, and he was called the Highway 20 Killer. And so before I do even my opening speech, I want to tell you guys how I came across this. Uh, I was researching a totally different serial killer. Right. And One that we kind of touched on already, but right. hope to delve deeper. And uh, the series of videos pops up, and I'm not really paying attention because at this point here, it's just kind of background noise because I'm listening to... Um, News interviews about another killer that they're going to feature. Right. When these when, when a show comes on, uh, our series comes on, called The Ghost of Highway 20. And it was done by a news reporter that works for uh, Oregon Live. Okay. Which is the newspaper. It's the Oregonian. Right. Um, so here's my o- opening speech, and then we'll get into everything else. Okay. I'm ready. In a world with so much beauty and lush forest... You would think that there would be, who would think that there would be a monster lurking, waiting, and killing? You would think that this monster would use an entire stretch of a highway as his hunting grounds and hunt in the open. I've seen the face of evil, but only in videos and pictures. And his name is John Arthur Aykroyd. Wow. Because this kid's going to get fucked up. More fucked up than mine yesterday? Mm-mm. Oh. <laughs> Ain't nothing more fucked up than that, dude. I know, right? I was talking about him last night with a friend of mine. And he goes, he goes, how did you find him? I we, said, we, it we was... Might, we might want to tell everybody who we're talking about. Yeah, we're uh, talking about Austin Sig. Austin Sig, which yeah. I actually talked to my daughter about today. Because uh, after doing that one, I sent her that uh, text. text message telling her that, you know, hey... We just did this one, and just want to say I love you. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so her and I talked about that today. So Yeah, was, no, because I was asked, how did you find him? I said, pure luck. It was pure luck. Sick fuckers, man. Yeah. So let's start with this first victim. Okay, okay. I'm ready. She's actually still alive. She's the only known survivor to oh. John Arthur Aykroyd. Wow. Her name is Marlene Gabrielson, and she still lives here in Oregon. I'm not going to disclose where she lives, but I did find out, and I do know. Gabrielson, there we go. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead on my own notes. <laughs> I hate it when I do that. <laughs> she was 20 years old in 1977. She had a baby, a brand new baby, and had just gotten married. Her and her husband had gotten a babysitter for their new baby, and they'd okay. gone to the rodeo in Sisters, Oregon, for the day. Okay. In her interview, she said that she'd gotten mad over something that she didn't even remember what it was and, at, at her husband, and she decided she was going to go home. Okay. Now, they're in sisters, and they live 80 miles away in uh, Lebanon. Oregon. Okay, yeah, I know where Lebanon is. Cool. That's when she met John Arthur Aykroyd. 
And he agreed to take her home, uh, you know, the, for the 80-mile trip. Right. And back then, it's like hitchhiking was like second nature. People hitchhiked all the time back in the 70s right, and it's 80s. The 70s, you're at, a, you're at a rodeo, you're pissed off at your old lady or right. old man, and you say, you know what? Hey, dude, you heading back towards town? Because yeah. for those of you that don't know where Sisters is, if you look on a map and you find Bend, Oregon, which is central Oregon, right. um, and you find Highway 20, right. you will run right into Sisters, Oregon. Right. Um, Contrary to its, there's actually a town called Brothers, Oregon. There and is, and that's on the east. It's on the east end, and there yeah. is not jack shit out there. Yeah. I've been through there many times. I look around going, this is just, that's fucked up. Yeah. Sis- sisters took everything away from the brothers. <laughs> Damn women. <laughs> <laughs> she went on to say that at the time, she didn't think that there was anything strange about the truck door not having any handles or latches or, as she said, a roller downer thingy. A roller downer thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's what rolled down a window. <laughs> yeah, the window crank. Uh, she'd been drinking and she passed out in Aykroyd's truck. She woke up while he was dragging her out by her ankles. And according to Marlene, her head had struck the truck and she, as she was dragged out. Wow. Marlene described it as, he dragged me out like I was nothing but a rag dolly. Wow. Marlene went on to say that he had taken a knife from a coffee can and held it to her. He said, you'll do everything I tell you to do. Then he took her pants off by ripping them and cutting them uh, yeah, from the crotch down the leg. He then started to cut off her boots and then raped her. After he was finished, he looked at her and said, what am I going to do with you now? And she replied, take me home. Wow. Now, that one really took me aback because... Okay, let me describe Marlene. Number one, she's Native American. Okay. This is the 70s. Right. So, really, we're coming out of a time where there was a huge amount of racism, but there's still a lot of racism. Oh, yeah, totally. So, you're a woman by yourself. You're nothing but a dirty Indian. Yeah. And she had mentioned that plenty of times. That's how she felt. Right. Uh, Well, maybe she didn't say dirty Indian. So, Marlene, if you're listening to this, I apologize. But uh, that's the sense that I got from how she was feeling. Right, no, yeah. That she was looked down upon anyways, even before this happened. Right, right. Right. So, he did just that. He gave her a dirty pair of his pants, and, he's, uh, and he just uh, he did just that. He took her to her mother-in-law's house. I wonder if she, like, shocked him by not, you know, begging for her life and or anything. That's what I'm thinking, because I remember in the interview... That and I didn't put this in my notes, so don't look for it in my notes. I won't. Um, it's just something that I remember. Uh, him, a- her, actually saying that he looked over and said, "I need a girlfriend or something like that. Would you be my girlfriend?" And she just she wanted to keep him happy, just right? Long, which, which is what they sense, say to do. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, it's one thing to be raped, but you want to be raped and murdered too, because right, you know. exactly. So she gets dropped off at her mother in law's house, and he dr- he drives away quickly. He's out of there. He, he's, he's gone like Donkey Kong, huh? Right. And, his, and uh, her mother-in-law says, oh my God, what happened to you? She tells her what happened, and she says, you need to take a shower. He goes, no, I'm not going to wash it off. And she actually, if I remember right, things I didn't put in my notes, <laughs> said, I wasn't going to wash that shit off. I was going to hold it in as long as I could. And she went down and did a rape kit. Good for her. Because mm-hmm. that's back in time, too, when women didn't do that anyways because, you know, how were you dressed or, you know, they were blamed for the rape. Oh, just wait. Okay, I'm waiting. Damn um, it. Yeah, But wait, there's more. 
<laughs> I hate it when you do this to me, but I do it to you, so it's all good. The kit showed vaginal swelling and tearing as well. Basically, it showed that she had been raped. The police didn't pursue the case against Ackroyd, though. And she, uh, th- what they did was they, they, they picked apart every little nuance of Marlene's account of the events, and she did fail a polygraph test. You gotta well, figure a polygraph test is pretty fucking stressful. Well, not just that. Is a polygraph test? Yeah, it takes into account your stress levels. You're you've been raped. Yeah, you're being questioned by the police like you're the assailant, and that's not going to fail a polygraph test. Oh, exactly. Well, this is all after she'd also shown them the torn pants and the and the cut up boots as well. Oh, okay. So she's got a te- she's got a rape kit that shows that she was raped. Yeah, and they pretty well say, yeah, you know what, fuck off. Damn. And the only thing that Marlene had got, uh, that uh, Ackroyd got out of it, was uh, Marlene's husband and went and whooped his ass. Well, you know what? He should have done more. He should have he killed that motherfucker. He should have. Others would have been alive. Victim number two was by the name of Kay Turner. Now, Kay's going to play a major part in all of this. So, okay. You know, Bear her in mind. Her, what's her last name? Her name is Kay Turner. Okay. In 1978. By 1978, um, Ackroyd was working for the Oregon Department of Transportation, ODOT. Okay. Uh, he was working out at San Yam Junction on Highway 20. Right, Go which figure. is over by Salem. Right. So Highway 20, for those of you that aren't in our area, runs from the coast uh, of Oregon. Right. And it runs way out there. Isn't at, that over down by like Florence area of the coast or a little yeah, further north? Yeah, I think north? it dumps you in Florence. Yeah. I think. Which is southern, like central coast. Or Newport. It drops you off in I mean, Newport Lincoln City area, maybe? You know what? I can't freaking remember. Oh, because I know that my daughter said, oh, you're over there. Just take Highway 20 to my house. She lives in Albany. Yeah. So it runs by there, too. Yeah. It runs, I think I've taken 20 all the way into Nevada. Oh, well, there you go. Or at least into, uh, oh, damn it. Can't remember the name of the town. It's another pisshole town. Uh, and caught 395 there. But uh, it runs out quite a ways. Yeah. So, it's. He's working at Sandingham Junction on Highway 20. In, Dece- in December of 1978, on Christmas Eve, Kay Turner and her husband and some friends had gone to Camp Sherman for Christmas. Okay. Camp Sherman is off of Highway 20 near Sandingham Junction. Right. So it's just right off an access road. And Kay was a runner. So keep in mind, this is in the time of, of like Prefontaine. So everybody's, you know, rallying behind him and, and taking up running. Right. If you don't know who Prefontaine is, just please look it up. I don't want As to I say, I don't know who he is, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> just look uh, it up. Is it some athlete? More power to him, he ran. He was actually, uh, he was an Oregon uh, gold medalist. Oh, okay, okay. For, now I know who run, you're talking about. Yeah, I know um, who you're talking about now. Yeah, and he was, I believe he was from Albany or that area. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, I can't remember. But anyway, uh, and Kay was a runner. Okay, so she had run marathons, and she ran regularly every day, no matter what the weather was, uh, from what I can tell by watching all the interviews and, and everything okay. like that. That's what it made it sound. Uh, from around the time that uh, she disappeared. So okay. she was out running. So and, they, went, they went to this place for Christmas, and she said, I'm going to go running. Right, Christmas And Eve. then she disappeared. On the morning of Christmas Eve, uh, she set out for a run, and she never came back. Okay. Scrolling. <laughs> um, after being gone for several hours, her husband called the police and did what husbands do. Well, yeah. My wife is missing. Reporter missing. As the police talked to a few people, a couple of teenage boys had said, hey, talk to John. 
Um, he saw her since we did. Oh, so they pointed him out. Right. And uh, that was the first time, by the way, that John Aykroyd's name had come up, that it got thrown into to the mix. Now, a little history on Highway 20. People are known to go missing there all the time. And since the 70s, um, which I found out at the end of that series, several bodies have been found. Real remains. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, there's been bo- human bones, skulls that have been found. Sounds Most- like it's a famous dumping ground for people. I think it was a famous dumping ground personally for John. But we'll get into my thoughts on that after we read this. We have a okay. discussion. Okay. Tom Hanna worked with Aykroyd at San Yam Junction ODOT facility. Uh, he got off around the same time that John did, and he had told the police that he had seen Aykroyd's truck around where Kay Turner had been jogging. When Aykroyd was interviewed in January 1979, he said that he had seen her jogging, so okay. he confirmed that. Um, he wasn't a suspect at the time, though, only a person of interest. Okay. Eight months later, John comes into the store at Camp Sherman and said, I found human remains. He claimed that he had found Kay Turner, by the way. He said, I found the remains of Kay Turner. Eight months later. Eight months later. How do you know that they were her? I'm going to get into my thoughts as soon as I read this. Okay. On this whole thing, because this is going to start my mouth going. (laughs) (laughs) Brothers and sisters. Lord help us all. We'll be here all day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I want to point out, this is my own fucking, no, it's okay, here we go. I got to start highlighting stuff. I want to point out that according to the police interview on on Ghosts of Highway 20, they said that Aykroyd had mentioned a god-awful stench, and that's point number one. And it couldn't be a fact, because the only thing that would be left there is bones. Right. After eight months, you have scavengers in the woods. You have natural decomposition. You have animals. You have animals. You have insects. Exactly. And you have weather. Exactly. And the cold weather here, even though it doesn't get that cold, it gets cold sometimes, especially down in that area. But you're still going to have scavengers. Exactly. Well, I'm just saying for, you know, so the fact that he said he smelled a stench after eight months. Yeah, there's no way. There's There's no no way he would have uh, had a stench, you know. Um, Not even with your sense of smell. Yeah, it's no, there's no way. Mm-mm. I can't, you know, I got a I got a dog's nose, but after eight months, it's just bones. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way. So Aykroyd takes a polygraph test about this. Okay. They call him out on how did you, you know, they're, they're asking, hey, how did you, you know, find her? Well, there's a god-awful sense, blah, blah, blah. He fails the polygraph test. Of course. One specific question that they had mentioned, though, is, did you ever touch Kay Turner? And Aykroyd says, nope, which was deemed a lie. After failing the polygraph ch- test, Aykroyd changes his story and said, and said that he had found the body in February, way back in February. Okay. But didn't report it because he was afraid that he'd be blamed for the murder. And according to the interview, the police detective that investigated Kay Turner's case, um, Ackroy was very deceptive about how the body looked, saying that there was a hole in her, in her chest from a bullet. Um, her throat was slashed and that the animals had been chewing on her body. Okay. That's what he told her. Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying not to interject anything because I'm waiting until you're done. But go ahead. I'm done with this one. Oh, 
Okay, not so, the whole thing. We got more murder. We got, no, I we got more killing okay. going down. So what he's saying is, this is eight months after she's disappeared. She's he said that she he found her basically a month and a half after she disappeared. Right. Didn't want to tell anybody, but when he did find her, she had a bullet hole in her head. A, chest. Oh, chest. A throat. Her throat was slashed, and animals had already started to eat her. Which I'm going to call bullshit on, and here's why. Let's talk pathology. Okay. Okay. So. If I'm if if I cut an animal's throat, let's say a pig, right? Okay, I cut a pig's throat and I leave it in the woods. The first thing that's going to get attacked is where the blood's coming right, from, right? The throat area, because that's where flies and shit are going to land and everything. And it's going it, to blood, as you know, and everybody else says it lets off a coppery smell. Oh yes, and it's blood smells like blood. It does. I There's no mistaking how, what blood smells I, I was like. Just saying, I don't know how you guys smell it, but um, I, I I smell like a coppery. And it almost brings that taste to your mouth, too, when you smell bit. it. Mine's a little different. But anyway, I, dig- I digress with that. Anyway, um, that's going to attract the other predators because you have coyotes up there. Mm-hmm. You've got bears. Right. You've got, like I said, insects. Even It's February, so there's snow on the ground. So there might not be a whole lot of insect activity. But you still have some. You're gonna have you might have some because we're coming. It's coming into March. Yeah, but you have to remember too. That's in the valley too. There's very no, little. Mountains. Oh, it is. Okay, never mind. Then I was thinking. But you still else. have a ton of scavengers. Up right. There. I was thinking not as much snowfall. Plenty of snowfall. Okay. Oh yeah, but the scavengers are going to start chewing on that body within a day. Right. Because if that, yeah, they're going to smell that blood. Yeah, like sharks in the water. In the yeah. water, yeah. And they're going to smell the decomposing body. Yes. So to sit there and go, her throat was slashed. Number one, if if I see, I'm a, I'm a pretty morbid motherfucker. Yeah. But if I see a body in the woods. Yes. I'm not going to do a fucking preliminary like autopsy on it. <laughs> yeah, scan it to see what injuries yeah, it I'm suffered. I'm not going to walk over to it and go, look, there's a bullet hole in the chest and the throat is cut, blonde hair. Let's open the eyes, you know, and give all this exact information. Looked like it was chewed on by this kind of animal. And, and yeah. plus, if, if you're paranoid that you're going to get blamed for the murder, and that's why you didn't report it, why would you go over there and touch the body? Yeah, unless you had to. It makes no sense. Yeah, unless you had to touch it. Yeah. And you know what I mean. Yeah, revisiting the, the crime scene. scene. The crime. Dun, 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 dun. Which, you know, for all you budding psychopaths out there, that's probably your number one downfall. Stay away from your trophies, fuckers. Yeah. All right, we're going to fast forward a little bit because we're kind of going to we're going to jump around a little bit, but it's all going to it'll come circle together. back. You promise. As always. Okay. I'm waiting. <laughs> in July of 1990, Rashonda, last name was Pickle, they called her Channy. Channy? Uh huh. Okay. Was 13 years old. Her and her uh, her brother Byron and her live and their mother lived with John Aykroyd in in Sandy Am Junction. And what year was this? 1990. Oh, okay. So this is quite a ways later. Right. Okay. We're going to circle. Don't no, worry. I understand. I just had a... Big circles. Dude. John and their mother, Linda, had gotten married in 1985. And at first, everything seemed really good. By- Byron recounted that John seemed stable and had some money because they could go out and do things like get pizza. And that was a big thing for him because his mom was like super... They're, they're, they were super poor. Okay. So they didn't go out and do things like get pizza and, and things like that. 
and it was a nice change for the two kids. And Aykroyd was described by those who knew him as unflappable and calm, except for there was a dark secret at home. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I like letting you sit there. I, and no, just I look can at only it. imagine. Behind closed doors, he was verbally abusive and violent. Okay. And according to two of Rashonda's friends that she had gone to school with, she'd shown up several times with bruises and even a patch of missing hair. Oh, wow. When she was now, asked, was she of color? No. White oh, kids. okay. No, because the name. That's why I was. That's what I thought when they said Rashonda. Yeah. Kid. But, yeah, weird shit. Okay. So when she was asked what happened by her friend, she said that John had done it. Her brother was even seen at school with bruises and a swollen lip. Oh, shit. So uh, he was hitting the kids, too. Oh, he was beating the shit out of them. And uh, according to Byron, uh, it was a fearful environment. So by this time here, they're living together. It's 90s. And they are scared shitless. Because yeah. Because this violent monster. Yeah. That, by that point, you're scared to say anything. Oh, yeah. So the two kids go off to visit their, their dad in Memphis. And their dad was estranged from them. Okay. So they're getting to know him. Uh, they go for a vacation. And a few weeks into the visit, things seemed to become a bit tense. Their father sat him down on the couch and asked Rashonda straight out if she had been touched by anyone. And they found out that she had been molested. By John. By John, but also by a relative. Oh. Uh-huh. A bit later, their father reacted poorly to a situation uh, and... Which made Rashonda want to go back home. It was over a game of hide and seek. And basically, their dad said, it's just a reason for girls and boys to have sex. You can't go and, and play hide and seek with these people. It, it was a bad reaction. I mean, come on. Dads aren't perfect. Neither are moms. And sometimes we... Oh, okay. Perfect. So somebody else wanted to play hide and seek. And he said, they just want to have sex with you. Right, pretty okay, much. Okay, that's yeah, what I'm... Okay, I was confused for a second, and I just need to get that on my... Yeah. So Rashonda goes back to Sandy Ann Pass, and, and Byron stays behind. And Byron said they still remember seeing her in her uncle's... In their uncle's car. And it would be the last time that he would see... That, that he would ever see her. Oh, shit. Because Byron stayed behind with his father. Right. Two of Rashonda's friends, Mandy and Michelle had also been molested in their home over the course of years. Uh, they started to notice familiar signs of sexual abuse with Rashonda, with their friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rashonda had stopped really caring about how she looked. She seemed tired all the time. And she seemed to become really depressed. Yeah, that's normal. Pretty normal for molestation yeah. because you're pretty well getting broken down. You are. And her, you're afraid to sleep. and Right. Yeah. Her two friends recounted that she didn't want to go home uh, or for the school day to even end. <clears throat> and one day in the library, Rashonda had left and come back 20 minutes later, sat down with her friend and said, you know what happened to you at your house? Well, it's happening to me, too. Oh, wow. Then according to Byron, when Rashonda confided, when Rashonda confided in their dad, he had become really angry and called their mother, Linda. Mm-hmm. Now, Linda's the one who's married to John. Right. Okay, um, and he said that he was going to call the cops on Ackroyd and press charges. The day after the call, Rashonda disappeared. Holy shit! They didn't call the police until the next day. Ackroyd had told Linda that they can't call the cops uh, until the child has been missing for twenty-four hours, which on the nine-one-one tapes, 
Um, the operator says, no, that's incorrect. We want to know why you called us this late. She says, well, I heard that you couldn't call for 24 hours. No, we're not with a child. You call immediately. Yeah, with a child, you call immediately. Yes. Find my little marker. Huh? The day Rashonda vanished, vanished, John tried to establish himself in, as an, for, with an alibi. He drove around uh, by his coworkers with a camera in plain view so that everyone could see him. Of course. And he told Linda that he was out taking pictures of deer. Linda said in the interview that he'd never taken pictures of deer. Oh, shit. So it's not even like he picked something that he normally does. He just did something off the wall to make an alibi. And the way that I felt when I was watching it was like he was looking at his coworkers and waving and showing the camera like, hey, see this? I'm just out here. I'm just taking pictures. Yeah, that's what I would imagine, too. (laughs) Let me get a drink of water here. I'm telling you. An, inter- an interesting side note, by the way. Linda said that John had no interest in sex. However, the night that Rashonda vanished, he was all over her. Oh, of course he was. They had sex that night, and a few weeks later, a highway worker found a pair of pants that he thought was Rashonda's. He noticed that Aykroyd, who was with him, got an erection and a wet spot developed from his pants. Hold on, I'm going to go throw up. Yeah. <laughs> This is his own stepdaughter. Yeah. And keep in mind, he's opportunistic. This is one that he got left alone with Rashonda because mm-hmm. Linda has to work. Yeah. And now it's just him and Rashonda. Right. When she vanished. And he, she'd already confided in her friends, hey, look, this sicko's, you know. Yeah, and the dad said he was going to call the cops. Yeah, so it, it's all out. The police suspected Ackroyd of being involved in Rashonda's disappearance. Uh, with that said, they even tried to include him in on the search of the places that they'd already looked at, hoping that he would volunteer up some information or slip, um, you know, so they could just at least find the body. Right. Unfortunately, it was all in vain because Ackroyd offered no new information. Hmm. Tight-lipped. Wow. The Lynn County DA, and that's the county that uh, right. most of the highway 20s in, well, at least for southern, this part yeah. of Oregon, um, has set up a task force to put Ackroyd in jail because his name had come up in a few other right. uh, incidences as well. And we'll get to those, I think. They knew that he had been responsible for Kay Turner's death as well as the disappearance of Rashonda Pickle. Right. Which, that's his stepdaughter. Right. And let's not get into the fact that he had already raped that other woman. Yeah. Back in 77, I think. 77, yep. Yeah. At one point, there was a wreck, and they needed a piece of highway equipment to move uh, something out of the way. One of the detectives working on the case uh, had Ackroyd bring that piece of equipment down and help him move one of the victims from the accident, who was about the same size as Rashonda. Okay. Ackroyd said the body weighed as much as Rashonda's body. And that's not a quote. That's about what was said. Because he didn't give an exact quote. Now, isn't that bizarre? Why, why would you even say that? Precisely. Why would those words even come out of your mouth? Yeah. Let's move on to Sheila and Melissa. Okay. Yeah, I'm changing subjects again. Yeah, you are. Kind well, of. people at least. In 1992, law enforcement was uh, closing in on John Aykroyd. What year? 92. Okay. They were working on the case of Kate Turner still, um, as well as uh, 
his missing stepdaughter, Rashonda. Right. Uh, John was the last one to see both of them alive. So keep that in mind. The last one. Sheila Sanders and Melissa Swanson vanished in the spring of 92. Their bodies were found by some hunters off of Highway 20 a few months later. Okay. So both around the same time. Uh Uh-huh. That's an escalation. Oh, you just wait until we get into the meat of this one. Oh, we haven't hit the meat yet? Oh, Are you still giving me an appetizer? I am. (laughs) Fuck. By this time, John and Linda, they, they had split up, and John moved back to Lebanon uh, to live with his mom. John's job, ah, John started to hang out at a local Sherry's restaurant. And for those of you that don't know what Sherry's is, it's a chain restaurant. Kind of like Denny's. Yeah, it's kind of like Denny's, except uh, it's mostly here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, Oregon and Washington version of Denny's. Yeah. Uh, there we go. And Sherry, and this was a popular hangout with teens as well. Yeah. I remember well, hanging out at Sherry's a lot when I was a teenager. Oh. Uh, witnesses say that every time he saw the, these two girls that we're talking about right now, that he would make a beeline for them. He had he'd taken a very special interest in both Sheila and Melissa. And how old were they? I got Did you say that yet? I don't think I've said that yet. But okay. I, can't. I can wait. They were teenagers. Okay. That's all I know. Yeah, because, and the funny, the weird part about this story is it was about that time frame when I was hanging out at Sherry's. So good thing I was hanging out down there, huh? <laughs> <clears throat> The, the girl started calling him, uh, talking about going on a camping trip to Newport. Oregon. Okay. That's on the coast, boys and girls. <coughs> Sorry, guys. I got to get a drink of water. Feeling a little parched. Are you feeling parched? I am. Shortly after that, John started telling people that he had a house on the coast and he was going to have a party there. Uh, he, had a, he was establishing his alibi once again. That's oh, exactly yeah. what he was doing. Yeah, while they're still alive. While they're still alive. So, hey, I just happened to coincidentally be heading that way. I coincidentally have a house out there. Yeah. John took his vacation uh, at the same time that the girls were supposed to be heading to Newport. The girls, however, left on Sunday instead of Saturday as they'd planned. And a day later, they decided to go back home. And, of course, they were, you know called friends and what have not, and uh, no one could pick him up. So they started to hitchhike. Well, again, at a time when that was actually pretty acceptable. Yeah, it's pretty acceptable. It's still kind of going downhill. Like, most people are going, hey, there's funky-ass people out here. Maybe yeah. Maybe want to hitchhike. I think it started around the early 90s when people started getting second thoughts about hitchhiking. So. Right, right, right. So you couldn't find a way home. Okay, there we go. <laughs> they weren't seen alive again either, and their bodies were found a few months later. Along Highway 20. Along Highway 20, just off of an offshoot of Highway 20. And I'm going to read through this, but I'm not sure if I had mentioned it, but I will if I hadn't. So John had been transferred to uh, the yard in Sweet Home, Oregon. That's uh, pretty close to Lebanon. Right. But due to his his odd schedule, he really didn't interact with his coworkers. On the same night that those girls went missing... John surprised two workers at the ODOT, uh, at the ODOT shop uh, where he was working. A spe- they were working a special shift. Okay. And this was according to Marvin Lamont, who worked there at the time. He said that Ackroyd came in covered in blood, and when they asked him, hey, what happened? He said, hit a deer, and I gutted it out. Okay. Uh-huh. 
On June 12, 1992, John Aykroyd was arrested with his friend Roger Beck for the rape and murder of Kay Turner. Oh. Now, oh, I, oh I'm giving somebody else? Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've introduced another one here. Beck was an alibi for Aykroyd and was largely ignored in the course of the investigation. That was until the task force that was set up uh, to put Aykroyd behind bars decided to take a closer look at Beck. The task force, the task force, and this was back from the 78 or 79, Correct. right? Okay. Yeah. 78, 79 when he killed Kate Turner. Okay. Got it. The task force started to talk to Beck's family members and found out that he had been bragging that he killed and raped a jogger with Aykroyd. Of course. He's bragging to him. As a matter of fact, in the videos, it does show. Him bragging. No, it shows uh, his family members, and they're interesting looking. Um, Sitting there going, you know, uh, know, he's bragging about it all the time. Oh, sounds like a Florida man. (laughs) Kind of Florida man-ish. What did them both the most damage, both Aykroyd and Beck, was that on... Separately, on several occasions, they had both said that Kay Turner had been shot and stabbed. They both said it. They both said it. But those facts weren't discovered until much later when the investigators took their evidence to the Department of Fish and Wildlife for analysis. So the Fish and Wildlife Department had had built up this brand new big lab, according to uh, one of the detectives that worked this. Okay. And they were just looking for things to do. And they said, hey... We want to bring you our evidence. We're going to bring you, you know, everything we have. The clothes, the bone. Right, because that way they could tell what animals had, yeah. you know. Right. Was it chewed on? Yeah. What was happening? They found that Kay's clothes had been cut off, not chewed on. They also found lead residue on the clothes, which proved that Kay had been shot. Okay. They also proved that her clothes had not been torn up by animals and that they were, uh, that they were scavenging. Her body, while they were scavenging her body. Okay, so she was naked already when the animals got to her. Yeah, they her clothes were cut off, all yeah. that stuff. They didn't go through the clothes to scavenge her body. We're coming to the end of this, and then we're going to have a discussion. There's no physical evidence, actually, to tie Aykroyd to Kay's death. Except? No, no except. He, so he was never charged with her? Hold on, we'll get ah, there. Ah, shit, I hate you. <laughs> Keep your panties on, young lady. Keep your panties on. Don't wet them. Don't get them in a bundle. That's right, don't get them in a bunch. The jury, however, listened to the voluntary interviews that Aykroyd uh, had with the police. In those, they found several lies and contradictions, which I did too because I've listened to them. And please watch The Ghost of Highway 20, and you'll be able to hear them too. And that's available on YouTube, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, I'll YouTube. try to post the link. If not, I'll post the actual video on the, the website. The reporter was amazing with it. Um, okay. But we'll get into my accolades for her in a minute. <clears throat> One of those lies uh, was that he had claimed to remember finding the skull of Kay. And it wasn't only a lie, but it was freaking impossible. This is what I love. The skull was found by, uh, by a hunter in 1980. And it was a half a mile away from her body. A half a mile away from where Ackroyd claimed... That she was. Let that sink in. No. A half a mile. Which means they decapitated and moved her no, head. No, no, no. Scavengers, man. Oh, okay. Because the bone pile there was mostly animal bones. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
the bone pile where where her head was or where where he said that he uh, had found her where uh, her clothes were and uh, all that stuff. Oh, uh, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it. In 1993, Ackred was convicted of the ge- death of Kay Turner, and this was a 15. This was 15 years after Kay's death. Okay. In 2010, Ackred was getting close to being eligible for parole. The police were determined to keep him in prison. Well, of course. While new evidence had come to the surface, uh, such as Rashonda telling her friends about the sexual abuse by Ackroyd, there's still no smoking gun. Uh, to prove that he'd killed her. Sadly, the only one who showed up to court, though, was Byron Pickle, her brother. And what I thought her mom. Bad. I felt bad. Mom wouldn't make the trip up from California. What about the dad? I don't even know what happened to dad. He was the only one that showed up, and he's trying to keep this monster. Good for him. And man, it broke my heart just watching him. I'm telling you, where's my cursor at? Um, from what I can understand, there was two ways it could have played out. This is what the detectives uh, are telling him. This is what I understood as well. Go to court and present the new evidence and risk losing everything and him getting out. Or a plea deal that would allow Ackroyd to plead no contest to the charges of killing Rashonda. And as I watch this video, I can see the anguish in, Bar- in Byron's eyes. Oh, I bet. Because uh, there was no one else there to help him. Yeah. No one. Linda, his mom, is in California. They didn't say anything about his dad. It was just him and his fucking wife. Trying to fucking make sure this monster stayed behind bars. Right. So he uh, agreed to the plea bargain. He said, fine, give him the plea bargain. Yeah. Just keep him behind bars. Which I think I probably would have done too. Oh, yeah. After watching this video series, I agree with the reporter, with what the reporter had to say. Aykroyd was an opportunity killer. He preyed on the vulnerable. Yes. Uh, Which a lot of serial killers do. Yeah. Um, He preyed on a jogger that wasn't paying attention, uh, just only paying attention to her sport of jogging. He preyed on two girls that he knew that possibly even trusted him on some level, and that's uh, Melissa and her friend. Right. Um, And his stepdaughter as well that was afraid of him. In 2016, John Ackroyd sadly, and I do say sadly because I think he should be rotting, died in prison. Did say what? Um... I don't know. I can't remember what I wrote. <laughs> on the one hand, you can say that the monster is dead. And on the other, I think, I, I think was justice served. That was my thought on it. Well, see, and you know, I mean, because nothing ever came about of the two girls, huh? No. No, justice wasn't served. No, I don't believe it was either. No, not in the least. I mean, because he, he was charged with one murder... Took a plea bargain of no contest, which, excuse me, ah, uh, didn't mean to yawn there, sorry. I need to um, really start highlighting all my goddamn notes. Well, so I know, that I know like I do. Yeah, you're way more organized than me. Yeah, So well. in one interview with the police, and this is what I had heard, um, he was complaining that he can't breathe and the doctor in prison isn't a good doctor. He claims that he can't even go downstairs to shower because he can't breathe well enough to get back up to his cell. In my honest opinion... I feel like uh, he, he did not get away. He, he didn't get nearly what he deserves. Yeah, no shit, yo. Did he even once think about the pain that he caused? No. The fear of Rashonda simply even living with him, subjecting her to sexual abuse, as well as the physical abuse of, of, of both her and Brian. Uh, By, I'm sorry, Byron, uh, of what she had yeah. to suffer. Did he even think about the pain of Sheila and Melissa, that what they had to go through at his hands? 
These are my final thoughts, by the way. How about the rape of Marlene Gabrielson? Yeah. Uh, we cannot and will not forget about her. No. Uh, not at all. Not at all. And you know what? She was lucky. She was so fucking lucky. That she knows. Yeah. And, and you know what I think? I keep thinking about the fact, the fact that she remained calm and didn't feed that, you know, give him the fear that he wanted. Right. Here's the heartbreaking part. And I wrote this. Uh, when I watched her interview, she said that she had felt ugly and, and I think that she said worthless as well. I can only imagine going through a period of time feeling the way... Oh, I'm going to cry just thinking about it. You're, you are. You're choking up. So that's how she felt. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. No. And, you know, I understand how she feels because, oh, yeah. you know, because I'm a victim of abuse myself. And to this day, I fight, you know, because you know me, I'm a pretty confident person. Yeah, all in all. Shut up, dick. <laughs> no, it's a compliment, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, okay. But anyways, I'm a pretty confident person, but I still struggle with that worthlessness feeling that I'm not worth anything, that I don't deserve anything better, you know. So to have to suffer through something like that and basically being told yourself, being told by people that, you know, you deserved it, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Or, or, or I don't that, believe you. Yeah, and that, that you're a liar. That's yeah. A, that's basically what the cops said. The, guy, the cops said... You know, you, you're a liar. We're not going to pursue it. You fail a polygraph. Well, see, test. and there's a reason why polygraphs are not admissible in court, <laughs> yeah, people. No shit. They are not admissible in court because they are not reliable. Exactly. You know, I know somebody who beat somebody up and had to take a polygraph test and passed it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, I mean, he didn't kill anybody, thank God. Otherwise, this would be another series. But, <laughs> you know, I know that he beat the snot out of somebody, had to take a polygraph in regards to it, and passed with flying colors. In my honest opinion, I think that Highway 20 was John Aykroyd's... Dumping grounds. Dumping grounds, not just for who we had mentioned today. Right, but the fact that they found more bodies out there... I would be willing to bet that he probably at least has 10 plus more bodies. Or more, yeah. There's no way that he laid dormant for that long. Yeah, I was going to say that the spacing between known kills or even suspected kills is too long. Yeah, way too long. We're talking a monster that loved to rape and loved to kill. Loved to terrorize. And loved to terrorize innocent people. And loved to hunt. And he was. He was an outdoor. Uh, he was very much an outdoorsman. Went hunting. And... Yeah. Well, I'm not even talking about like hunting animals. I'm no, talking he liked about to hunt people. Oh yeah, the way he would, and the way he would go about purposely trying to set up alibis before things even happened. Oh yeah, he thought that he was smart enough to outfox the cops. Is what yeah, he thought. Yeah. Well, that's. I'm sorry, but those people who think you're smart enough, you're not. In reality, listening to his interviews, he was an idiot. Oh, so, so they actually have him being interviewed, too? Oh, yeah. No, that's what I said on, on the Ghost of Highway 20. I, you know what? I will find that video, and I'll post the video on our website. That works. Um, I should have given... Uh, the, the last name is Crombie, I think the reporter's name is. Um, talk for me for a second so I can look this up. Okay. No. Um, so, anyways, so my whole thing is with the whole... With the daughter, the stepdaughter and everything... It's like he was the only one who had motive and means, you know, because they always or motive and opportunity, you know, because they always go by motive, means and opportunity. 
And um, with the fact that he knew he was going to get turned in for the sexual abuse and shit, you know, he had the opportunity at that time when the mom went to work to do something with her. Correct. No, totally. You know, know, so I just, it just floors me, floors me. There we go. Now I got it. I'm sorry. And I feel really bad because she did an excellent job at it. Um, Her name is Noelle Crombie. So I was correct. Okay. About the. uh, Okay. Can you shoot? Can you text me that link? To I just got Oregon Live on my phone right now. Oh, I thought okay, never mind. I, I'll find the link. You said Highway Twenty. Ghost of Highway. Ghost 20. of Highway Twenty. Okay, right. I will find the I will find the um, video and I will make sure um, that we put it on the website because you know I like to keep people informed first of all and second of all this is just too bizarre and too disgusting for me. It really is. It's it's another one because it's somebody who didn't pay for the crimes. He really didn't, and that pisses me off. You know, his biggest bitch was... Like the toy box killer. Yeah. He fucking took the pussy way out and died. You know, his, his biggest complaint of what sounds like life was, well, I can't go down and take a shower and walk back up to myself. Because I can't, can't get breathe. good medical attention. Okay, you know what, fucker? You didn't yep. give them good medical attention. You didn't have any ounce of empathy for these people you killed. No, exactly. You know? And obviously you have no remorse because you're not telling people what you did. Well, and even the detectives... Uh, one in particular, I can't remember his name, was trying to kind of lead him into, you know, basically telling him, look, you're already in the situation. Nothing else is going to happen. You're never going to get out of prison. Yeah, exactly. At least, you know, kind of we want to know where the body is. Mm-hmm. That's all we want to know. Yeah. So there can be closure. And he couldn't do that. He couldn't even fucking he do that. He couldn't even fucking do that. Nope. Which, that reminds me of another killer out there that I'm going to feature that I've told you about, that guy who killed out of Hillsborough. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I'm going to feature him, and he did something similar. Jamie. Yeah. And when you get into him, dude, I mean, he's a whole convoluted story anyways, but um, I have to, I just still have to find a couple more things before I can feature him. Sweet. But... It'll come. He's coming. (laughs) But no, I mean, it's like, I mean, because I don't care what people say. And sometimes I do actually have some admiration for serial killers, not on a level that I admire them for what they did. But I have some admiration because they at least at the end realize, you know, after they're caught, let me give closure to these people because I'm already busted. Right. Exactly. So they give information. And those ones, while their crimes are horrific and disgusting... I have a little bit of respect for them. Right. At least the family can get some goddamn closure. Exactly. Not with Aykroyd. No. And it's like with Alcala, with all those pictures he has, and nobody knows what happened to those people. One of the side notes, uh, this was from his childhood, um, which I didn't include in my uh, blog either. This is a special thing just for our listeners. Was when he was a kid... His parents, uh, their golden retrievers had had a litter of puppies. So they put an ad in the paper to get rid of these puppies, right? When people showed up to look at these puppies, he had hacked them all to death and spread their body parts all over the yard saying, these are my puppies and no one can have them. Yeah, let that sink in for a minute. (laughs) you, You made me speechless. It's my job. Yeah, no, it's not your job. You drive truck for you drive truck. That's you drive hobby. truck for a living. <laughs> yeah, that's my hobby. I love it. No, I was just thinking in my head. Hmm. No, <laughs> I'm not out there serial killing. No, you're unless not. we're talking like a bowl of Wheaties. 
<laughs> or Lucky Charms. I love the Lucky Charms, man. See, I won't eat Lucky Charms anymore, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's bizarre. Is our intern okay? Man, yeah, it's probably dying. Oh, okay, that's no big right. deal. We'll call nine one one later. Yeah, inter- <laughs> we, can, we can get another intern. It's not a big deal. <laughs> They're a dime a dozen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just take him out with the rest, put him in the garbage can. That was so bad. Um, no, but it's like, I just feel bad for those people who have no closure right now. Right. None. Oh, and, who, exactly. and who's to say the other people that are missing and the bodies they found or whatever, you know, the bones and remains and stuff they found. It just, it just sickens me to think that he was actually the one that did it. I'm pretty sure he did. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of bodies up there that have yet to be discovered. Yeah. And that uh, that he's the cause of at least some of them. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yep. That makes me not want to go hiking in the woods. Yeah. It, ma- it actually makes me paranoid. And yeah. People wonder why it's you know when I go camping and things that bring guns. They wonder why. <laughs> yeah. No. People wonder why I don't go camping. This is why, folks. Bugs and people. <laughs> bugs and killers. Bugs and killers. No. Oh, man. So that's all I've got for this one here. So we're going to wrap this one here up. Yeah. All right. Let's this, do. <laughs> this has been Brutal Nation. Copyright 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. Remember that you can send us an email at brutalnation.cast at gmail.com. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Check out their other shows as well. And we look forward to talking to you guys soon. This is Scott Alexander with Tammy Underwood. God dang, I almost called you Carrie Underwood. Um, My cousin. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We're saying bye-bye. Talk to you guys and hear from you soon. Bye. Bye.